This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 42. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the War Games from Season 6 and the Second Doctor. Uh, Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika from Malta, Montana. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken from San Diego. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So uh, first, let's just get started. I'll play you the sound of the trailer from the DVD for this uh, 10-part serial from Season 6. The Time Lords are an immensely civilized race, and we have the secret of space-time travel. We can set simply to, to observe and gather knowledge. And that wasn't enough for you? No, of course not. Without the whole galaxy to explore, millions of planets, eons of time, countless civilizations to meet. We've landed right in the middle of one of the worst wars in human history. The court finds you guilty of espionage. There is only one penalty, death. But this is monstrous! But you can't let them execute the doctor. He hasn't done anything! There's something very strangely wrong here. This whole case is divided into time zones. 1917 zone, Roman zone, American Civil War zone. We've got to get away from here. All of us. Look at the Zedit from nowhere. I'll never in your own army. Run, Zoe! Run! Stop them! They came in a space-time machine. Tastes like the TARDIS. Who else would have space-time machines like the TARDIS? The secret of space-time travel is known only to you and to your people. This is the war chief to all war zones. This is a command direct from the warlord. Stand still! Don't move! You are completely surrounded! I intend to take over as supreme galactic ruler. Doctor! When the Time Lords get him, you wish you had killed him. You have returned to us, Doctor. Your travels are over. You know they're bad guys because they roll their R's. (laughs) (laughs) really i think the seventh doctor would have something to say about that exactly Uh, uh, well maybe Ooh, this maybe he was secretly the master anyway um not gonna get into that one uh so we have the second doctor played by patrick troughton and and f just to remind folks what we're doing is as we're going as we're uh approaching the uh christmas special in 2017 where the 12th doctor will regenerate into the 13th doctor uh we're we're going back and we're looking at each of the previous regenerations uh we uh a couple weeks ago we looked at the regeneration from from the first doctor to the second and this serial 10-part serial ends with uh at least the beginning of the second doctor's regeneration we can talk about that in a bit uh mm-hmm. uh what what's involved uh with the ending of that regeneration process um and so it's still brand new. It's still something that uh, they haven't settled on. It hasn't taken a definite form, uh, right. as, as we'll talk about. Yep. What? What? So, like, when it first happened, I mean, it's at this point, it's not even called regeneration. It's not known to be something that happens regularly. Um, it happened for the first time to William Hartnell's doctor, and then they just he, the newly regenerated doctor Patrick Troughton said, "I've been renewed." And that was his explanation for what happened. That was basically all he gave them. Mm. Um, So it wasn't depicted as a regular thing. Um, And as we'll see when we get into this one, they it's even less clear that this is a regular thing that happens to Time Lords. And it's also still not going to be called regeneration yet. Yeah. And in fact, it's it's in fact, it's somewhat unique. And and I'm not sure. An argument, an argument could be made that he was that this wasn't a regeneration from my point of view. Mm-hmm. But we'll get yes. we're, we're jumping to the end instead of sorry with the beginning. Yeah. So, 
We're foreshadowing. Yes. So it is a very long 10-part serial. Um, and, and as you, we said a couple of times, Jimmy, before when we talked about this, um, you know, you watch the first few, skip ahead to the last two. I mean, and, and that's pretty much... It, it, unless you're a completist like yeah. me and you want to see everything. Right, yeah. it, which I did. I watched all of them. It was uh, mm-hmm. each one's a half hour. So that's, it's, you know, uh, about... Uh, Took a while. Five, yeah, about five hours of, of TV watching. Um, I do it all for you folks. And uh, so you could kind of sum it up in it as they land on a, on a planet. They think it's earth and it's, and it's the middle of world war one trench warfare. Um, they encounter, um, they, they get captured by the British. Um, they're th- thought to be spies. They uh, are sentenced to death, or at least the doctor is, uh, they escape. Oh, we, we should probably talk about who they are. So they includes, Patrick Troughton's second doctor. But in addition, he's got his companions, uh, Jamie and Zoe. And for people who may not be aware, Jamie was before Sarah Jane Smith. Jamie was like the most popular companion. Mm -hmm. He was a young Scotsman from the mid 1700s. He and Patrick Troughton's doctor were like best friends. He was kind of like Patrick Troughton's little brother in a way. Um, he was very loyal, very willing to jump into action to defend the doctor. Um, and he was there for almost the entire run of Patrick Troughton's doctor. He was not there for like one episode or one story at the beginning. Uh, but he was so popular. They, uh, they kept him for basically the whole run. Um, the other companion Zoe is a more recent character. She's only been around a, a season or two. Um, and she's from the late 21st century. She's from uh, a space station known as the Wheel in Space um, that's somewhere in our solar system in, you know, coming up on the year 2100. So maybe 60 years in our future. And uh, she is very highly educated. She's a genius. And in some cases, she can be smarter than the doctor. And so she and Patrick Troughton at times kind of compete with each other uh, when intellectual things have to be done. Um, actually, I think the doctor's always really smarter than her, but he's letting her think otherwise. <laughs> um, in any event, so we have this interesting symmetry in the companions between one is from our past, one is from our future, and they kind of complement each other very nicely. And so that's who the they are. It's the doctor, Jamie and Zoe. Yeah, and uh, like at times, and it plays out in this, this story, uh, Zoe has an uh, eidetic memory and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, they discover that things aren't what they what they seem. Uh, that the 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 place they are is divided up into what they call time zones, which is not like the Eastern time zone and the Western time zone on on <laughs> Earth, but uh, different zones. You, you do get jet lagged going between them. <laughs> Apparently, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like the, you have these these areas that are surrounded by this mist. That when you travel through the mist, you're in a different area that. Um, contains people from a different time on Earth. Um, and so quickly they learn that each zone is a different war from Earth's history. And in, with the people from that time who have been transported there against, without their knowledge, against their will, um, uh, for what reason, we, you know, we eventually find out that there's an alien race who's tr- who's, who wants to recruit American, I mean, not American, um, uh, human soldiers human. Uh, to conquer the uh, galaxy, and they're going to d- recruit them by uh, enslaving them and um, mind controlling them, uh, you know, uh, putting them under their control. Uh, that's kind of the basic. Uh, they they travel these aliens that they call themselves the warlords, although they have a warlord. Um, they travel between these zones using a sidrat, which is TARDIS backwards, which is a uh, a machine that uh, apparently can travel in time, but they're using it to just teleport. Um, it's bigger on the inside than on the outside. And they've gotten this technology from uh, a person who's called the War Chief, <laughs> not at all confusing, <laughs> who yeah. is uh, of the same race as the Doctor. Uh, yes. And, go ahead, Jimmy. You were going to say what I was going to uh, ask you. Yeah. So he is only other than now we've met. The doc. Thus far, we've met the doctor and Susan, 
at the very beginning of the series, the very first companion, and they're Time Lords, although we don't know that name yet. That name is not introduced until the end of this serial, The War Games. Um, other than that, they've always just been called the Doctor's People. And we've met two of them besides the Doctor and Susan. Uh, the first is a character that appeared a couple of times during William Hartnell's first Doctor era, known as the meddling monk. And he kind of took the persona of a of a monk, a human monk um, in the Middle Ages, and he was kind of messing with time. He was meddling, so they called him the meddling monk. And he was not really sinister, but he, he was sort of a mischievous, troublemaking character. Um, and, and, and not purely evil, but in this episode, we meet another member of the doctor's race, the war chief, and he is just dead on sinister. Um, so this is only the second, uh, member of the doctor's people that we've ever met other than the doctor and Susan. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of people I, I've read on, I read online, they, he, he reminds him of the master. Yes. Um, and and even to appearance, uh, he looks a lot like the actor who would later on play the master. But he's not. He uh, he's certainly not like the master of the re, re, um, rejuvenated Doctor Who, the modern Doctor Who. Uh, in that he's not insane. He's not crazy in that way, or or um, capricious <laughs> yeah. and that sort of thing. He's more. Um, he's businesslike. Yeah. He's yeah. He's. Yeah. He's not he's also not like the master of the classic era because he doesn't have a particular rivalry with the doctor. He they they weren't like friends at the academy and are trying to outdo each other. Uh, and in fact, he wants he tries to recruit the doctor uh, into his plan to, to, you know, to to take over this effort to take over the galaxy. Um, I, I would almost characterize him. He's lawful evil as opposed to the master's chaotic evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Times. Um so, you know, some of the interesting things that kind of jumped out at me at first. Um, so there's a this British general who is apparently one of the warlords people. They scatter their own people among the um, the humans uh, and control them. And the way, one of the ways they control them is they they put on these glasses and then they speak uh, ominously at them. They, they essentially are using Jedi mind tricks uh, on them to uh, to control them uh, some people are resistant to the 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 the, uh, the conditioning and end up becoming part of a resistance um trying to think of a few there's a few things that come out one of the things that i, I saw was the doctor has a sonic screwdriver in this one and the yes. the first doctor didn't have one uh, so they uh, so it appears that they've introduced sonic screwdrivers in the time of the second doctor uh, in which Correct. case this one is actually sonic and actually screws screws in and out. <laughs> yes, the second doctor was the first to have a sonic screwdriver and at this point its functions were much more limited. It hadn't yet become a magic wand. Okay. Yeah, he uses it here <laughs> to uh to convince uh I think it was the German officer that he's really uh, an alien uh that he or at least he has uh, high technology. Um the, so the the basically for the first 8 episodes of this serial I think I mentioned this already. They get captured. <laughs> they get accused of being spies. They escape somehow. They get captured again <laughs> and by someone else. Repeat, repeat, <laughs> repeat, repeat. repeat. I mean, so yeah. we have this ongoing <laughs> and and then the, the bad guys are just running around crazy trying to trying to pin them down uh, in one place long enough to, to, to really do 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 away with them. Um, so it's it's sort of repetitive, and mm -hmm. I, I don't know how you guys felt. But I felt like they they had time to fill, and so they just stretched it out. That's basically exactly it. They had a, an extremely low budget at the time, and the way they and so they could only afford to have new sets, new props, new costumes every so often. That's why we got these big long serials that were that could be you know in this case ten parts long. It's one of the longest. The longest is actually uh, one that that is from the first Doctor's time called um, uh, the Daleks Master Plan, which was even longer than this. Mm. But um, but this is like second longest of of this era of Doctor Who. And um, and so as a cost saving measure, they just they they maintained a given setting so they could use all the same props, all the same actors, all the same costumes all the same sets 
um, and and keep their budget down. And that meant lots of running around uh, at times. And so <laughs> in in this era, it's just it, television had a slower pace. It was more for children than it is now. And when you're looking at at some of the very early Doctor Who, you can either, you know, skip some stuff um, once you know what to skip or uh, you can try to appreciate the way they're doing it in a given case mm-hmm. and say, well, given the con- conditions that they were working under, how successful are they being? And I think the War Games is among the more successful runarounds right. because we have uh, a diversity. I mean, they were able to raid the BBC's, you know, wardrobe department for different historical era costumes, <laughs> and they established um, given uh, characters in the different time zones so that we got to know them, especially in the World War One time zone. Uh, I mean, there's a nurse that they team up with from that period. There are a couple of soldiers uh, that we get to know and and we get to understand their struggles and, and things like that. I mean, there's one soldier the nurse is talking to and we get a sense of his life as kind of a He's kind of depressed. He's he's got like this kind of bureaucratic life in the middle of a war, but he's got to run an office on the mm-hmm. on the battlefield. And so we get to know these characters and and we also get the spectacle of the clashes between soldiers from different eras and stuff as they're crossing the time zones. And so as rather than just running around a base under under siege and going through endless corridors, I think this time it's 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 among the more successful ones, even though for modern tastes, it's obviously long. And it, and it really does reveal little bits of information in every episode. It's not like yeah. every episode is, you know, there's just an episode where they're captured and they're running and they're captured and they're running and that's it. You know, there is little, you know, pieces are nuggets are pulled out every little episode and some episodes are better than others some episodes they reveal a lot some episodes are just one little oh okay little phrase or little um plot point comes out you know so and, they do a good job of that and and as it goes along we learn more about the plan that's behind this we see more of the mental manipulation we see yep. start to see kind of behind the curtain into the warlord's world and they have these weird psychedelic 60s spiral designs on the wall Um, also like the first time, very 1960s, it's very 1960s, uh, even though it's in black and white, it's still like, wow, this is a mod design. Um, and like the first time they get into a Sid rat and it's like, wow, this is bigger on the inside. Okay. That's the first time we've, you know, I mean, that's a huge clue that this is somehow connected to the doctor's people, right? You know, you go in, it's bigger on the inside and it's got roundels on the walls. And so that just suddenly amps up the drama for the attentive mm-hmm. viewer. It's it was interesting. I was thinking um, that if this was done today, if this story was told today in Doctor Who, it would probably be a two parter, and they would be able to tell the story and still have time left over. That is the one downside with it because it is so much running and everything. Um, but it would still have to be a two parter. I mean, there's no way you could fit this into a single forty five minute episode and do it any justice whatsoever right a couple of uh interesting um just kind of uh points that things that came out uh, as i was watching and some observations i had um so jamie as you mentioned is a, a is a, a scotsman from the uh the 18th century uh 18th or uh, i forget well what he's 18th mid mid like around 1740 yeah i think he was pulled out of the battle of culloden i think i can I never remember which exact century that was and uh so he's very much a scotsman and very much does not like the uh the the redcoats uh <laughs> yeah. and he's running around in a kilt and there's this one mm-hmm. scene where he's captured along with some resistance fighters and they're taken to the processing room uh where they like they're they're thrown on the floor and these guys are like splayed all over the place except someone made very sure that Jamie's legs are nicely crossed considering he's wearing a kilt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, every thank you for whoever on set had to decided to do that. Um, just a, like a couple of things, like I thought um, some funny elements of it were the the obnoxious alarm that sounded every time a door opened, like. 
it was just this really loud alarm and then like the war chief would enter and he'd say don't let me interrupt you uh, you think <laughs> yeah <laughs> or, or even better was when you know the like the, the the person would come in and then they would be standing there and the other people wouldn't know they were there like what the alarm didn't like clue you in so that was yeah. kind of kind of funny um uh, it was interesting they how they kept like introducing new people like she had the, the 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 lab technician and the war chief and the security chief and then the mm -hmm. warlord the, the guy who's running all this comes in and we like we have this this steady throughout the steady introduction of more and more folks into the story um and, and that's a that's a good point as well because among the warlords they're not all in agreement it's not like the daleks where they all agree with each other all the time they have like rivalries and disagreements and things like that and that adds texture to the story as well. Also, one of the things that I liked about the uh, the warlords is they have this they're not yet they're not yet fully there but they have this kind of Nazi-esque vibe well, to them. The security um, chief had an outrageous German accent which was <laughs> Yeah, but even 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 like the the warlord their leader, you know, and he's 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 like in this kind of it looks like a leather or something uniform. It's very nondescript, but it's it's kind of got that clean line look that 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 uh, that is a common in sci-fi evil guy uniforms. And he's got the little little circular glasses and a short beard, and he's very sinister. Um, and he he just reminds me of the characters we'll meet later in Genesis of the Daleks, who are like direct Nazi ripoffs. Um, so I thought that was neat. One thing that uh, if I had a criticism, um, on kind of a structural level, we should have seen wars from our future. We don't see any wars. I mean, they should have just made something up and like had the, you know, the Canadian invasion of Nigeria or something and, and given us some wars that haven't yet happened. And that would have amped up the color as well. I was a um, little surprised you know, story-wise. I was a little surprised there was no World War II. I mean, in fact, the doctor yeah. refers to World War I as the worst war ever. I mean, World War I was bad, but it was certainly eclipsed by World War II. So as, I, I didn't know whether there was a, a reason why the in the late 60s, the too story- soon. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, but. it was only 25 years later. There were it, it, there would have been lots of people in the audience watching along with the kids who may have. I mean, even the World War One stuff could have, you know, triggered some right. uh, PSTD memories. Well, and and in Britain, the war was very present as opposed to in America. You know, the right, war yeah. was, you know, in the skies over the over the, you know, over London and all that. So. That's you know, a good point. It wouldn't surprise me in, in the you know mid to late 60s that they were just finally kind of getting to the end of the, the cleanup and repair from World War II. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I mean, it was the, a lot of England, especially, but all of Great Britain got very heavily damaged by the, the bombing from Germany. I, I suppose that's a, that's an element of it. So on a, on a lighter note, um, two things. Worst stage fighting ever. <laughs> there were, I mean, there were plenty of of, of uh, punches that d that didn't land and sent a guy flying, or uh, or like somebody come running in very low and very slow, and uh, and it was just, it was hysterical. I I had better stage fighting in my, in my high school uh, uh, um, West Side Story than. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it, it was it was worse than, than Captain Kirk in uh, Star Trek? Oh yes, at least I mean that was at least stylistic. This was just bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but the other thing I noticed too was um, in the landing bay they had this control panel that controlled the the Sid rats as they traveled. Apparently, the space behind that control panel is the best hiding space ever. <laughs> Because yeah. they yeah. hid behind that panel like three times and like three, like three times some, someone walked right by, like there was no way they couldn't be seen, but apparently they couldn't be seen there. So uh, that was, that was uh, amusing to me as well. Um, oh, it's kind of, you like, know, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was something... just going to make a comment. They should have, uh, you know, you'd think after the first or second time someone hid back there, they'd actually, you know, push the panel back. So someone could not hide there anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. We, we can say Jimmy. Um, it just struck me one of the things they they could have without 
they could have included World War II without showing it to us because they see maps of the different war zones. And we don't see every war zone there is, but we see them labeled and they talk about them, you know, the the Russo-Japanese war zone and stuff like that. Um even though we don't ever go there. And so they, they could have included like a world war two zone um, and, and just had the name on the map and included it in the dialogue, but not actually showed it to us. And I think that would have been a good way to get it in there. Cause it is kind of obviously missing um, to get it in there in a way that wouldn't be overly traumatic for the audience. Right. And that's the thing is, yeah, it's just, so it's just kind of interesting that it just wasn't there at all. Uh, some of my observations about uh, this, j- just in general. So, like, as just from of Patrick Troughton as the Doctor, because I again, I'm I'm coming at all of this classic Who uh, for the first time, and so and yeah. experiencing it this way. Um, and so William Hartnell, I saw you know the two different uh, episodes of serials about with him, and now we have Patrick Troughton. And the interesting thing with with him is um, he's nowhere near as self assured and confident. Uh, mm-hmm. In in all situations, as later doctors uh, usually are. Now, sometimes they're off balance, and they're as um, as we'll see next week's actually uh, episode that we talk about the unquiet dead with the ninth doctor. He actually gets in a situation where he's really unsure and 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 not confident. But in this one, I mean, it was very interesting to see how how often the doctor was was downright scared or. Mm-hmm cowed by the enemy or um you know so it's panicked yes yes uh and and it was up to jamie and zoe and and others uh lieutenant carstairs and others to kind of save the day in, in some cases so it was very interesting to see the doctor played so differently here and and this is one of the reasons that patrick troughton is my favorite doctor because i mean i it's not the most the single strongest reason I like the fact he's more childish, he's more whimsical, he's more humble. Um, but when, but he's also more vulnerable. And when you have the main character under threat and the main character feels the threat, it amps up the drama. It's better storytelling compared to, you know, there's only one thing that can stop a billion Cybermen, and that's me. You know, I mean, that's that. It's it's yeah, a cocky exactly. line, but it totally sucks the drama out. Whereas if you suddenly realize I'm over the main, I'm the main character. I'm overwhelmed by this. That's going to let the audience feel the drama in a way that it doesn't if the main character is feels like he's totally in control all the time. At one point, the doctor's put up against the wall for in front of a firing squad. And, you know, in the modern era, we'd say, oh, no, it's it's a regeneration. You know, he's going to get shot and then he'll just continue on. Whereas mm-hmm. here, again, where we've only where we only had seen the one renewal, uh, we didn't know what that really meant. This was real. I mean, in a, as much as a weekly TV show can have real jeopardy, but this was real jeopardy for the doctor at this point. There was no sense of right. he'll get shot and that and that means he'll regenerate as a new actor. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that it, it does have it does cause the drama to be a bit different. Um, I just kind of want to jump to the, the the meat of why of why we're talking about this to the regeneration, and that involves mm-hmm. uh, when the Doctor calls the Time Lords. So, you know, they've defeated the Warlords, and um, the Doctor seems overwhelmed by the ideas. It's no way to to bring all these people back to their own time because, again, as we pointed out, the Doctor is not in control of the TARDIS. Uh, at mm-hmm. at this point, uh, right. in, he could he could be, he could bring them all on board the TARDIS because it's big enough for them. But he has no way to find their original times, and so they could just right. be on there for the rest of their lives trying to get home. And one thing they mentioned too is the the Sid rats, which are supposedly time space machines. There is a component that's missing, so they have a limited lifespan that is coming very quickly due. That it they are going to be no longer functional very very quickly. Presumably so something they can't that, just use those. Yeah, presumably something the war chief, because uh, he's aware of that idea, and presumably it was something to keep the warlords dependent on him, so they'd still need exactly. him. So, uh, so the doctor decides that the only thing he can do is call the time lords to come and take these people all home, but he needs to escape before they get here, um, and and he's very I, I frantic. Love, yeah, I love the way, by the way, that he that he calls them. 
because it's so unlike anything you would think. Um, you know, you would expect the doctor could do one of two things. He could either, uh, you know, find a radio somewhere, maybe on the TARDIS and place a radio phone call to his home world. And we don't know the name of his home world or his people at this point. Um, or he might just concentrate and we'd have a special effect as he telepathically sends them a message. But instead, he he, he whoops out these little uh, squares of like white plastic or something and meditates and they telekinetically assemble into a box that yep. is then like the communications device. And it was, so we have this stop animation of the little squares assembling into the box. And it's a very simple special effect and you see right through it. But I just love the creativity of that, mm -hmm. that they didn't just do the concentrate telepathy or the go to a radio. They had this more mystical kind of thing they're doing to contact the doctor's people. And, and, and then as you say, Dom, you know, like the war chief is freaking out at the idea of the doctor's going to call the, their people and is like warning, big danger, don't do this. And the doctor right. does it anyway. And we get this sense that there's a huge sacrifice building. Right. The, doc the doctor is very worried. Uh, you know, he knows he needs to call the his people, but, he, but he's worried about the what's going to happen to him when they get there. And, mm -hmm. and Zoe and, and Jamie are very confused. They're like, well, they're your people. Why are you so scared? Um, and he just, he doesn't just, just tell them he's like, no, never mind. Just run. Just let's get to the TARDIS. Um, he does right. explain at one point that he ran away from his people because he was bored, that the, the time Lords were too quiet and boring despite their power. And and this is I, I don't think William Hartnell ever said it that way. I think this is the the first time we have the boredom explanation. And then near the end, not of this season, but of the previous season of Peter Capaldi, where he's in um, I forget if it's heaven sent or hell bent um, when he's alone in the castle and he's forced to tell a truth he's never revealed before. The truth is that I didn't leave because I was bored. That was a lie. That was always a lie. And we later we later find out the reason he left was because he was concerned about the prophecy that he was somehow implicated in the hybrid that would that would stand on the ruins of Gallifrey. Right. Right. Um, which and then it turned out to be a shoulder and all that. Uh, so um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll, we'll, in fact, we may never, ever find out to have that paid off, depending on what Chris Chibna wants to do. But that's something else. Um, actually, I kind of skipped over the, this whole sequence of them running for the TARDIS. Uh, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. As they run for the TARDIS, they, they, everything seems to slow down and they can't move very fast. And the doctor says that the, 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 the Time Lords are slowing down time to prevent them from escaping. Uh, which is yeah, and on, on on a physics level that doesn't really work, but dramatically, I mean, they're moving slower, they're talking slower, their voices are becoming distorted, and they're not making it. You know, they're 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 clearly in jeopardy, and this is mm -hmm. so strange and so different, and it, and it makes the time lords who haven't even appeared yet really scary. And yeah. so, um, you know, they have a really ominous first introduction. Also, by the way, something else that's going on here, because we're heading up to Patrick Troughton's regeneration, um, this is uh, this introduces an element that will be a standard part of later regenerations, which is self-sacrifice. The first time when it happened, the doctor really wasn't doing a self-sacrifice thing, though they may retcon that in the Christmas special with uh, uh, David Bradley's version of the first doctor um but it just kind of happened now we have the doctor's regeneration being caused by with him knowingly going into danger in order to save others and that will become a standard part not a universal part but a standard part of future regenerations and and so uh, at this point this is when the the time lords appear this is their first appearance as time lords, as you mentioned, because yeah. the war chief was only the second um, of of the doctor's people we saw, us, apart from him and Susan, um, and they and they, we get their name, right? They're called time lords. We don't get their the name of the planet that comes uh, much later, but we we yeah. we are told that they're time lords, um, and then they 
they put the doctor on trial for violating their laws. Um, but it, does that does that come? I forget now. Does that come before or after they send uh, Jamie and Zoe back to their their times? They they send Jamie and Zoe back. So we're on the Doctor's planet, and the Time Lords kind of d- punish the try and punish the uh, the the warlord, the leader of the warlords. Um, and it's actually pretty horrific. I mean, he's like screaming in pain. And mm-hmm. so we get a sense dramatically of what the Time Lords can do for punishment. And maybe that's going to happen to the doctor. And Jamie and Zoe are encouraging the doctor to escape. And briefly, they even try to escape and get back to the TARDIS and leave again, because they point out he's 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 skedaddled off his own planet before. Why not now? And Mm -hmm. so um, they try that and it doesn't work. And then they they send uh, Jamie and Zoe back to their own times and they manipulate their memories so that they won't remember anything except what happened in their own time. So Jamie will remember his first meeting with the doctor in the 1700s, but not anything after that. Zoe will remember her first meeting with the doctor in the late 21st century, but nothing after that. And so you have this very bittersweet thing. They're sent off to their own times, not even realizing their memories are going to be blanked, but the doctor Mm -hmm. realizes it. And then we get little glimpses of them back in their own time where they refilmed uh, some new footage of them reintegrating into their own time. And the Jamie sequence is particularly neat because he's like back in the battle and uh, he immediately finds a red coat and it's like this romp almost, you know, I mean, he's like right back in his element. He's going to go get that red coat. <laughs> Pulls out his claymore and starts running at the guy. <laughs> yeah. And the doctor's watching him on a screen on his home world. And it's like, oh, he's going to be fine. Um, yeah. And then they put the doctor himself on trial for real. Okay. And the, 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 the outcome of the trial is that, you know, he's guilty. We know that. And so the sentence. But he makes a defense. He does. Okay. Uh, what was the defense uh, in brief? The defense is that there's evil in the universe that needs to be fought, not just observed. And I've actually been doing that. And the Time Lords uh, say we need to think about that. And they go off and deliberate. And then they come back and they say, you know, you're right. There is evil in the universe. It does need to be fought. But you've been involving yourself in a way you shouldn't. So we're, we, they have kind of a compromise verdict for him. They're going to let him continue to fight evil in the universe, but under restrictions. And so he's going to be confined to one planet in one time. And since he's shown such an interest in Earth, that's where they're going to send him. He's going to be exiled to Earth in the 20th century, which is a very horrific thought to him. He doesn't want to be tied down in that way. Right. And then he objects that, uh, well, people are going to know who I am. They know what I, what I look like. And, and so they, they have a solution for that, too. <laughs> and, and in fact, they, they offer him uh, a series of different uh, new faces that he could have, which he all rejects. Yeah, and they're they're just they're like sketch drawings of what these people could look like. They didn't bring in actors for these. Yeah, and they're so they're like charcoal and you know drawings of what his new face could look like. And he's like, oh, he's too fat. He's too thin. He's too old. He just won't do it all. <laughs> right. <Yep>. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's so it's and then you know once they say, well, we'll choose for you. Uh, it's just like I do with my kids. Well, if you're not going to pick, I'm going to choose for you, and. And he chooses for they choose for him, and then we get this sequence where he's sort of ah, his face is all you know, and and then he the sort of the spinning around and the special effect, and then that's it. We don't actually see the new face, and it's very interesting to me that as a as a regeneration, as what what we experience in the future from regenerations from future doctors, that this isn't actually he doesn't actually die here. He just gets right. a new face, and so. It raises the question of what is regeneration then? I mean, obviously, from a from an outside of the of the TV series viewpoint, you know, this is just their uh, their way of changing actors. But right. you know, when we try to you know retcon it, we try to get some headcanon in on it. Like, what does it mean to regenerate? Then it's not just a I've died and my body has re- renewed itself. 
Yeah. In, in the way this is presented, because it's still only the second time anything like this has happened, um, there were there were actually fans who debated, is is this actually a regeneration? Um, because it could just be Time Lord plastic surgery. Um, yeah. And even though he comes back as a much taller character, um, when we see John Pertwee's doctor, it's like, OK, it's like Time Lord extreme makeover. Uh, but <laughs> but but we don't have us. We don't. It's not established that this is a death and rebirth here. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that really happens later. And really, it, I don't think it happens until the new until new who that they definitively say that, you know, this is his second incarnation and that this event was a forced regeneration. Um, I mean, it is eventually, okay, he's the second doctor, John Pertwee's the third doctor. They all have numbers now. We, we know them all. There aren't any missing ones. And they, and then Matt, Matt Smith runs out of regenerations and has to be given a new regeneration cycle. And so all of that implies this is a real regeneration, but there were fans who would debate it for a long time before all that was established in new who. Hmm. So uh, we don't actually see John Partwee here. Um, the the end of the regeneration, or or we can we can actually bring talk about that now. You know, there there is some debate whether um, the regeneration actually begins at this point. Um, Correct, because we don't because we, we don't see John uh, Partwee's face uh, at all in this episode. And there was right. th there's a sort of um, season six B. You mentioned Jimmy. What, what's yeah. that about? Well, so when we when the there was a six, like a six month gap between the end of season six with the war games and the beginning of season seven with Spearhead from space. And when we see John Pertwee's doctor appear for the first time, we don't see Patrick Troughton at all. He basically John Pertwee basically just falls out of the TARDIS having newly regenerated. And so there's this gap in there. And one of the things that happened was at the time, there were uh, licensed Doctor Who comics that were being published. And they were tracking the adventures of the, of the second Doctor, of Patrick Troughton. And when the War Games happened, they had six months more publishing to fill before mm -hmm. the new doctor would appear. And so they kept publishing Patrick Troughton comics and they were set after the war games. And so, and, and then when there's a, a story called the night walkers where um, the time Lords catch up with Patrick Troughton's doctor and he's, and so during this extra time in the comics um, he is exiled on earth having adventures on earth but he hasn't yet changed his appearance. And so then right before um, the new Doctor debuts, the Time Lords catch up with Patrick Troughton's Doctor and force his appearance to change. And so the actually the only licensed image of Patrick Troughton actually morphing into John Pertwee is in a comic. And, you know, for a long time, there was a question about how canonical is all this. Um, but, uh, but later other things happened in the series that kind of built up the idea that there were some adventures in this period between the end of the war games and the beginning of Spearhead from Space. And, uh, for example, uh, the doctor is later reunited with Jamie on a couple of occasions in the, in a story called the five doctors and in another one called the two doctors. And on those occasions, mm -hmm. Jamie knows about the time Lords. And so it's clearly something that happened after the war games because he didn't know about them going into the war games. And so that suggests that there was more in this gap. And so fans right. started calling this this extra set of stories in the gap season six B. And eventually they started publishing licensed BBC novels with the BBC logo on them, endorsing the season 6B idea. So now it's treated as basically canonical. And to be clear, too, on, on the, the five doctors, uh, Jamie and Zoe were their apparitions, you know, their uh, hmm. That's false, right. false images. And the doctor says, well, how do you know about how do you, you how do you remember me? Your memory was wiped when the Time Lords restored you to your time. That's so right. it would have had to have been after the war games. 
Yeah. So, okay, I misremembered on that one. But in um, The Two Doctors, which is when Patrick Troughton meets Colin Baker's doctor, Jamie is there in the flesh. They're running around having an adventure together, and Jamie knows things he shouldn't know. Exactly. So um, my last uh, thought on this, this is this is the last episode of Doctor Who in black and white, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. So and after this, everything is uh, in living color, which is interesting, given that this was the late 60s. By this time, there was a lot of American TV, in fact, in in color. Uh, You know, famously, Star Trek, uh, you know, was in uh, living technicolor, I think, is the phrase they used. Wow, wasn't it? (laughs) But... But uh, the, you know every you know, but so it's it's interesting to see as they transition uh, to to color now, Jimmy. You've said in the past that there was a, a financial reason at the BBC for exiling the Doctor to Earth and kind of locking him there. Uh, that was less less a story reason, more a financial reason. Yeah, um, the season at uh, the series at this point was on the bubble um, in that there was real talk about cancellation happening um, at the end of the Patrick Troughton era. And it wasn't um, it wasn't 100 percent clear from the beginning that it was going to get picked up. And so uh, to make it um, to make it more attractive uh, to keep the series going, they said, look, we can we can set it on Earth. Uh, we can have the threats be occurring here and now so we don't have to build alien world sets. Um, every few weeks, um, we can we can just film in and around London and 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 keep everything set in contemporary time, so we don't have to have lots of costumes and props that you know we're going to have to have specially made, and um, and they kind of tested that in the Patrick Troughton era, doing a few stories that were like that, which is actually how we first met the characters from Unit. Um, like uh, he wasn't a brigadier at the time, but like Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart uh, was introduced in those early kind of test run stories about how can we make this work just set on modern day Earth. And then they in the John Pertwee era, they uh, they teamed the doctor up with unit on a regular basis. He became unit scientific advisor and they had a bunch of adventures where contemporary Earth was under threat. Um, it was a little bit ambiguous whether we're in the 1970s or the 1980s, just to make it feel a little more futuristic, um, but still keep us within budget. And that led to the unit dating controversy, which I'm sure we'll talk about another time. But uh, they'd get the doctor kind of like off planet. They'd save their money for like one kind of alien story per season. But other than that, for the first season or or, or two, they kind of kept him on Earth. And then eventually... Uh, in season 10 for the 10th anniversary with the five doctors, he did such a great service for the Time Lord. They returned his knowledge of time travel and let him let him and the TARDIS fly free again. So about four seasons of of this uh, exile. Yeah, the last season he could he could go pretty much where he wanted. OK. All right. Good. All right. So uh, anything left to be said about uh, the war games? Anything that we didn't uh, cover already? Overall, your 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 take on it? I th- I think it's a neat series. I mean, it is long for modern sensibilities, but um, other than that, I think it's nicely done. I think they 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 do a lot with what they have, and I like the complexity of the of the supporting characters that we meet on both sides. I think the introduction of the Time Lords is extremely effective. Um, if you just watch that sequence where they're running for the TARDIS and then what happens after that, and you watch the, uh, the warlord meet his fate. And I think it just very effectively amps up the drama. And I, I, I think it's a, a really great entrance to pay off who are at least in a little bit of information about who are the doctor's people after six years of not knowing anything about them. How about you, Father Corey? What, what's your, uh, take on it? Oh, I mean, very much agree with with Jimmy. I mean, yeah, like like I said at the beginning, if if it, this was told now, it would be a much shorter, much more concise story. That being said, you know, I mean, it's it's been a little while since I watched all ten episodes, and I, I don't think it's unwatchable in its completion. I think it is very much watchable. It's just you got to have a little bit of uh, 
tolerance for a lot of running and they're, they're captured and they escape and they're running and they capture and they escape and so on. You have to know also what you're to, getting in for. Exactly. You know, I want to point out too, with our episode here, you know, episode number 42 still, we didn't even mention the fact that this, we didn't answer the, the uh, ultimate question of life, the universe and everything. <laughs> but what is the question? <laughs> what is the, what is the, oh yes. What is the answer? But what is the question? <laughs> exactly. Um, yes. Uh, the doctor is the answer. That's always the answer. Um, there you go. <laughs> uh, my take is um, I, I enjoyed it as coming in as a, as, as someone who hasn't watched a lot of classic who um, it was fun. I mean, of course I understood where, what I was getting into uh, with it. It was going to be d- uh, differently paced and a different style. Um, but I, I liked it. I liked the story. I liked the doctor. I very much liked the companions, Jamie and uh, Zoe. Um, and then the, 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 the tertiary characters, I liked Carstairs. I liked lady was lady Jennifer lady. Yeah. Lady Jennifer. I think it was, um, g- good character. Um, the villains were, they, they chewed the scenery pretty good. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> overall, I mean, and then I liked the, uh, the, the introduction of the time Lords and, um, and how, um, it was, they were complex. There was, they were subtle. There was not, they were not bad guys. They were not good guys. There was a little of both. I mean, they were, they were certainly taking away the, our, you know, our beloved doctor in one sense, but they, they didn't seem like villains. They just seemed, I don't know, um, complex. Yeah. And that's brings to mind something. Um, the, one of the, to, to my mind, the highest form of drama, it can be when you have, two parties that are both basically good in conflict with each other. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what we have here in the final confrontation. The time Lords are doing stuff that obviously the second doctor doesn't like. I mean, he doesn't want to be exiled. He doesn't want his appearance changed, but they have this compromise sentence for him. They're not going to just kill him. They're not just going to do something horrible to him. They recognize he has, um, merit to his argument, but he has broken their laws. And so they come across, despite the initial fear he has of them, they come across as, okay, I don't agree with everything they're doing, but their hearts are fundamentally good. And that good on good conflict, to my mind, is is one of the highest forms of drama. Great. So that's it from us on uh, the War Games. What did you think of the War Games? Uh, let us know. Visit uh, us at tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. Yeah, send us your audio feedback. If you record your voice uh, using maybe your voice memo uh, function on your telephone, uh, send us uh, some audio feedback and we'll include it in a in a future episode of The Secrets of Doctor Who. Um, you can find links to all our personal social media and our websites on our show notes at tridio.com. We'll be back next week when we'll be discussing the, the new Doctor Who uh, adventure, The Unquiet Dead. Uh, and we'll have uh, uh, Charles Dickens to contend with. Uh, until then, uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for sharing in the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Always glad to be here. And once again, I'm Dom Bentadelli. Thank you for listening. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.